So this week we consult the Parsha of Toldos and we should not be surprised to hear that the discussion begins literally at the beginning of the Parsha. We take a look at the opening which is in Perik Cafe Pasuk Yudtes. Toldos by name and indeed that's how it begins. The Pasuk reads, Ve'ele toldos Yitzhak ben Avram. <coughs> These are the toldos. We'll translate the word toldos as uh, generations. We'll see what, what will come of that. But these are the toldos of Yitzhak, son of Avram. Avram holid es Yitzhak. And needless to say, among the other questions that arise when reading this opening pasuk, a, a glaring issue is that it very simply seems to have repeated itself in the second half. Uh, it begins by introducing the toldos of Yitzhak ben Avram. So Yitzhak is the son of Avram. If Yitzhak is the son of Avram, so ipso facto, uh, Avram holides Yitzhak, that's just two ways of saying the same thing. And <coughs> many Mepharshim throughout the ages address this issue. And it needs to be addressed. I think that perhaps the uh, most well-known response to this. It might not be so well known that it is a response to this question, but it is. The Rashi's well known. And Rashi actually brings two Perushim, but I think the second one, which is more Alderah Hadrash, is the is the better known. <coughs> and that is Lefishahayu Leitsone Hador Omrim. You have the scoffers of the generation. So that's that's not a new invention, scoffers of the generation. They had them uh, in Avram's time as well, and every generation since. And the Leitzane Hador were saying, May Avimelech Nisabrasara, uh, seemingly the, the uh, correct understanding of the situation is that Sarah can see for Avimelech. Shahari Kama Shonim Shahasayim Avram. She was with Avram for many years. She did not conceive. And then she was taken by uh, Avimelech. And then sometime after that, she did conceive. Or it was uh, apparent that she had conceived. So that was the, that was the um, tale that was being spread. So, so what did Hashem do to put a decisive end to this uh, late sonus? <coughs> Tsar cluster Panavsha Yitzchak Dome La Avram. Hashem formed the facial features of Yitzchak to be unmistakably like Avram. And in fact, some of Hashem say that he actually changed the facial features of Yitzchak so that it was very clear that this was in order to make this point. Veheidu Hakol Avram Holid Es Yitzchak. And that's really what's behind the second half of the Pasuk. It no one could deny at this stage that indeed Avram holed es Yitzchak. <coughs> so to, just to be sure that we've done justice, at, even on, on a preliminary level, to what Rashi is saying, whenever the Torah, shall we say, repeats something, so it's not to tell us just that it was so, because we know that already, but it's to tell us that it was recognized as such. So the first part of the Pasuk, <coughs> Yitzchak ben Avram, gives us all the information we need. Yitzhak is the son of Avram, which we knew anyway, but it's being formally stated here. To reiterate, Avram Holides Yitzhak isn't telling us anything that we didn't know, but it's, but it's informing us that this was something that everyone 
recognized. Even people who initially didn't didn't think so or didn't want to think so. <clears throat> so that is Rashi's uh, uh, explanation of the seeming repetition in the second half of the Pasuk. And Amir Tashem will come back to the Rashi. But the Ramban has a very interesting approach to this question. Again, our question is, what is behind the repetition? Avram Holid Es Yitzchak. And Ramban actually, uh, or the way that we'll present his, his words, we raise another question. Perhaps a question that, that we might never ask. Because we're so familiar with Toldos Yitzchak and, and, and the Torah introduces the children of Yitzchak. So let us ask a question. <coughs> uh, there are three of us. Is this standard? Is this the norm? To introduce one's children w- w- with the words Ele Toldos. So, of course, we are starting in the middle because it's famous through Yitzchak. But what about Avram? What about Yaakov? <coughs> Do we have told us Avram? Do we have told us Yaakov? Well, actually, we do have told us Yaakov. In the beginning of Parsha Svayeshev, the second apostolic of the Parsha, Eile told us Yaakov. Because it's the second, it doesn't take much for it not to become the focus. It's the second apostolic, so it's, it's not called told us again. But, but we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that as surely as the Torah introduced Toldos Yitzchak, it later on introduces Toldos Yaakov. So apparently that is the norm. But now go back to Avram. There is no Toldos Avram. Nowhere does the Pasuk say, Ve'ela Toldos Avram. And that's a very interesting Shiloh. And, and I think, again, it's... M- more interesting, or all the more interesting, because it's one that we could very easily never have asked. But two out of the three Avos uh, have told us treatment, and the first one doesn't. And what's that all about? <coughs> and the Ramban raises this question. And Ramban sa- explains that the Torah did not want to say Eile told us about Avram. Because once you say Eile Toldos, you are unavoidably required, so to speak, to list all of their children equally, any of their progeny. Which means the list would have sounded like Eile Toldos Avram. Well, there's Yitzchak, there's Yishmael, there's Bnei Keturah. And we know that essentially or fundamentally those other sons of Avram are not considered his toldos in the way that Yitzchak is at all as indeed Hashem says to Avram in Parshas Vayera ki Yitzchak yikari lachazara Yitzchak is considered to be your progeny in every meaningful sense of the word <coughs> okay it's complicated with Ishmael he's still his son etc they are but not in the same way and therefore, says Ramban, the Torah avoided giving Avram what would seem to be the intuitive introduction or at, at some stage of Eile told us Avram in order to avoid placing Yishmael together with Yitzchak or any of the others together with Yitzchak. It's worthwhile noting, parenthetically, if that's true, that you will actually, you will uh, forego the 
option of saying Eile Toldos because you don't want to put their children next to each other, how interesting it is coming back to Parshas Toldos that the Torah did not shy away from saying Eile Toldos Yitzchak even though Toldos Yitzchak is Yaakov and Esav. <coughs> Presumably, Esav is as much not appropriate to be in the list together with Yaakov as Ishmael is inappropriate to be on the list together with, with Yitzchak. And yet the Torah does say Eile told us Yitzchak. And it does begin to talk about Yaakov and Esau. And I believe, it, having raised this point, that this perhaps can be seen as a support for an idea that the Meshachachma develops. And one has to say it carefully, because we're not, we're not about to take our hats off to Esau anytime soon. But there is more within Esav that has an affinity to the way of Yaakov than Yishmael has to the way of, of Yitzchak. Yishmael and Yitzchak have nothing in common. Esav and Yaakov, aside from getting into the Parshas told us discussions of how much they could have had in common, how much they could have actually been, been, been partners of sorts, as many Mepharshim explain. But <coughs> beyond that, there are many Jewish uh, figures of note who are from Esav, Unculus and Rabbi Meir and, and, and so on and so forth, none to speak of from Yishmael as of yet. And in fact, the Meshachachma explains that this is what's behind uh, Rivka's question. There's all sorts of turbulence inside of her and one seems to be going in one direction and the other in the other direction. And Rivka asks, so then, a very cryptic sounding question. Why is this me? Most people uh, if they have uh, difficult, uh, difficulty during a pregnancy or, or, or whatever it will be, their response is, is not to say, why is this me? What is the meaning of that question? And the answer was, there are two nations in your womb, but how does that answer the question of why is this me? But Meshachachma explains that Rivka was intensely bothered because she perceives a disparity within her two uh, children. And if that's to be the case, so let it be the case. But why is she carrying both of them? Lama ze anochi? Why is this all happening within me? After all, consider, <coughs> yeah, yeah, Avram also had two sons before B'nai Keturah, which is much, much later. But, but in that initial stage, he also had two sons. And they're also very different from each other. They're both sons of Avram, but each one was carried from it by a different mother. Sarah never had twins. She never had one after the other. Sarah would never carry Yishmael. He's carried by Hagar. Which further highlights the fact that if he's, if he's that type of, however one will describe it, drawing off something with an Avram that doesn't need to be part of the future of the Jewish people, so then he should be born from a different mother. So why do I have these two inside of me? Let, let the one who's not so good be carried by someone else. And the answer to that question is, No, there are two nations of distinction. And in fact, Rashi gives examples of each. Rabbi Huda Hanasi and Antoninus. Now, there's much discussion as to who exactly the Antoninus was, but the way he's described, he was extremely 
positive person, good person, respectful of Rebbe, would learn Torah with him, from him. And that's a type of quality person for purposes of which Esav is carried by Rivka as well. There's a lot about Esav that could have been carried by someone else. But these personalities that, that will come out in the future, the Rabbi Meyers, the Unkelises, the, the Antoninuses, that's what Rivka is told. That's, that's why they're both inside of you. We add, again, parenthetically, but with very thin parentheses, apparently there are no such personalities in Ishmael that, that had him uh, made it worthwhile for him to be uh, carried by Sarah. So that's just an absolute separation, and never the twain shall meet. But be that as it may, that is borne out by what the Ramban says. The Torah doesn't want to say, Eile told us Avram, to get back to our, the, the, the trunk of our discussion, because it doesn't want to put Yitzhak together with Ishmael. They have nothing in common. But it didn't shy away from saying Eile told us Yitzhak, even though that would lead to somehow placing Yaakov and Esav vis-a-vis. I believe that, that presages, uh, to a certain degree, the, the idea of the Meshachachma. In any event... Where are we left? Avram is left without a Toldos now. He's left without Toldos treatment for reasons that we said, because we don't want to mention Yishmael. But is, but is he completely excluded from what Toldos is meant to denote? Says Ramban, no. This is the meaning of the second part of the Pasuk. Again, and the second part of the Pasuk is, it begins... Yitzhak is ben Avram, told us Yitzhak ben Avram, but then goes back and says, Avram begat Yitzhak. <clears throat> to what end? What, 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 informa- what new information is being told to me? This is the toldos. Apropos of the presenting the toldos of Yitzhak, it then goes back and says, and where does Avram fit in? Avram begat Yitzhak. With the very telling uh, implication of Yitzhak and Yitzhak only. That's the way to do it. If you, pr- if you introduce toldos, Avram, you have to mention all of them. But if you introduce him as the, as the patron of Toldos Yitzchak, so then you can, you can place him only with Yitzchak uh, as his progeny. And that's what the Torah does. So this is, we see there's, there's, there's much uh, discussion happening here, even in Rishonim, to understand the second half of the Pasuk. But from Rishonim to Acharonim, to the great Reblev Minsberg uh, Zatzal, passed away really just a few years ago, one of the great Parshanim of our time. And he has quite, quite something to say in response to this question. Again, why repeat Avram Holides Yitzchak? I know that, just get on, get on with telling me the Toldos. Says Reblaid Minsberg, the second half of the Pasuk, Avram Holides Yitzchak, is the beginning of Toldos. It is the beginning of the description of Toldos Yitzhak. In other words, <coughs> we'll, we will present it in form and then go back to explain what it means. The way to understand the two parts of the Pasuk is these are the Toldos of Yitzhak ben Avram, colon. First among the Toldos of Yitzhak is Avram Holid es Yitzhak. Now, what does that mean? Well, it brings us to really to ponder the meaning of the word toldos itself. We gave a, a rather, uh, I think, safe translation earlier on, the generations, which could mean anything. Um, but what does toldos actually mean? Well, as we know, Rashi will generally say that toldos means children. Okay. 
and there are Mephoshim other likewise who say that uh, Ramban Ibn Ezra. So Toldos means children. That's one school of thought. <coughs> there is another approach which is headed by the Sforno that when you describe someone's Toldos, you're describing their life experiences. Or what happened to them? What happened with them? What happened to them? Because they're also a kind of a toldos. Because they are what was born of them. As the Pasuk says in uh, Mishle, my yeled yom, what will the day bear? The ev- events are, are the, the offspring of the day. <clears throat> and a person's significant events are the offspring of their life. And therefore, for the Sforno, Toldos is not necessarily biological children, but experiential milestones. And indeed, both, both, both can be so. What was the first Tolda of Yitzchak's life? The answer is Avram Holides Yitzchak. That was the very first significant event of Yitzhak's life. Now here, of course, we need to pause because obviously one's birth is always the beginning of, of, of quite some significance to, to one's later development. But it's never normally called a tolda because that's really just how things begin. It's hardly a significant event within one's life. It's just simply what one's life begins. Or to put it slightly differently, you can't start celebrating milestones if you don't have any mileage left yet. So if, you're, if this is day one, so then it's not yet a tolda in terms of a significant event. But for Yitzchak it was. Why? Because Yitzchak was born of a miracle. Avram holides Yitzchak. Avram is, is, is too old to have children. Sarah is too old to have children. So bederech ateva, Yitzchak should not exist. But exist he does, and born he is. That's a significant, that, 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 that defines him. And indeed, <coughs> uh, it's, uh, parenthetically, but uh, very interesting to note, the Gemara states that Avram, in, in celebration of the birth of Yitzhak, minted coins. Yatsulo munitin ba'olam, to Gemara in Baba Kama, Pites. Uh, he minted coins. To, to what end? Because when something very special happened, certainly in those times, nothing else would really, A, survive, or B, get the message across, other than money. If you mint a coin, money circulates. It's persume nisa. And the Gemara says <coughs> that on, on one side of the coin was written the words zakain and zakaina, right? The elderly man elderly woman, too old naturally to, to, to have children, and yet and, and, and they did have children. And, and, and it was to be Mepharsim the Nais. The money was circulated, as we know. Money talks. And in this respect, it tells the story of the miracle. So, this is why, says Evlade Binsberg, it's such an elegant uh, parshanut explanation of how our posse goes together. And you realize the significance of the of the of Avram having of Avram begetting Yitzchak. So, if you're introducing Ela Toldos Yitzchak ben Avram, Toldo number one is Avram Holid es Yitzchak. 
And what's very interesting is, is, is Rev Minsberg goes back now to Rashi. Because Rashi, as, we, as we, we read earlier on, it's the Leitzoni Hador, and they don't believe it, and they think it's from Avi Melech until there's a miracle, and everyone says, Avram Holi Yitzchak. <coughs> that is very clearly a Drash explanation. There's no question about it. But what Rebbe Minsberg often is um, intent on pointing out is that if you have a pshat explanation of something and then a drash explanation, the drash is not a completely different approach. It's, it's, it's an emanation or an elaboration or further elucidation of what the pshat is saying. It's not that the word has, a, so to speak, a split identity. And if you look at it from a pshat way, it means A. But if you look at it from a drash way, it means something completely different. No, pshat and drash are not the same. But one is an emanation from the other. And here too, says, says uh, uh, Rav Minsberg, if you understand that the pshat in these words, Avram Holides Yitzchak, is see how significant it is. How, in, how noteworthy it is that Avram begat Yitzchak, even though he was old, etc. And that, the, on a pshat level, that is the first of the toldos. So then the medrash that Rashi brings about Leitzonim Hador is actually an elaboration on that very theme. Because Leitzonim, who were the first to disbelieve what they don't want to believe, so, so they, they had a field day with this. But it's all, it's all about this very point. Avram Holides Yitzchak, or no, until the end, uh, a, a, a miracle occurred, which required them to, to, <coughs> to fall back in line and, and ag- agree that Avram Holides Yitzchak. So that whole medrash really is, is episodically elaborating on, on the pshat meaning of Avram Holides Yitzchak. So these are some uh, wonderful comments which are, are uh, presented by Erbleib Minsberg and the Sefer Ben Melech. From there, we move on a little bit uh, further into the Parsha to the section of the sale of the Bechorah, the sale of the birthright. Uh, which is itself a very interesting thing. Um, the, the very notion of selling the birthright obviously needs, needs to be understood. Whoever was born first is a historical fact. Uh, it's not such a simple thing to sell a historical fact, although nowadays actually it is, and they don't go for very much. But if we take a look at uh, one of the psukim here that we'd like to, to uh, focus on, and that is Pasuk Lamed Beis. So we're still in Perik Kaf Hay. So Pasuk Lamed Beis. And if we, if we go back um, more for, to Pasuk Kaftes, just to lead ourselves in, it's the day that we know from Masorah, it's the day <coughs> that Avram Avinu passed away, by Yosef Yaakov Nazid. So Yaakov is, is, is cooking this dish, by Yavo Esav and Asadev, Esav comes in from the field, he's tired, he's thirsty. Unkelis <coughs> uh, actually translates the word Ayef as thirsty. We, we normally translate it as tired. In this instance, we assume he was both. And what does Esav want? He wants Vayoma Esav and Yaakov Adom Adom Give me some of that red uh, food. I'm so tired. Okay. And ya- and then Yaakov says in Lamed Aleph Michra Chayom Es 
Lee. Sell your birthright to me. And now, <coughs> let's see how, how, what Pasuk Lamed Beis says. What does Esav say in response to that? Sell me the Bechara. Vayomer Esav. Behold, I'm going to die. So what do I need the Bechorah for? So he never actually says yes, but I mean, for, for Esau, that's, that's a yes. And then, and then Yaakov makes him swear, and then, and then they do the exchange, etc. But what, what is the meaning of these words? Behold, I'm going to to die. I mean, that is said apropos of what? Does he mean he's about to die like right now? Uh, I mean, as, as tired as he might be, or as hungry as he might be, if a, if a pot of lentils will see him right, so he's not really dying. So it, it just seems to be like a very overdramatic way of, of saying, you know, I'm so hungry. And the Esau comes in, it's like a whole uh, uh, theatrics, you know, give me some of that uh, red pottage, uh, ere I die. And he's not going anywhere if you're hungry, uh, so have something to eat. And, and again, Rishonim deal with this question. What is the meaning of these words, behold, I'm going to die, and, and how are they part of what's happening here? But the Gemara says in Masechah's Baba Basri, in the end of the first Perik, that actually this was a, a religious statement, or more correctly, a non-religious statement. Because it is with, with these words, says the Gemara, that Esav kofar betrias hamesim. He denied the concept that the soul exists beyond the earthly life and will come back again, the, the, the dead will come back again, betrias hamesim, resurrection of the dead. In other words, according to the Gemara, <coughs> means I'm, I'm going to die, meaning I'm going to die. And when I do, that's basically the end of it. So I don't need the Bechorah. Because the Bechorah is really more for spiritual development, which I might have accrued later on. But I, I do not subscribe to a later on. So I don't need the Bechorah. I may as well get whatever I can for it. That's how the Gemara explains. And <coughs> what we need to understand, because the Gemara, it, it just ex, explains it, that he denied Trias on that day. Which almost makes it sound like until that day, he did subscribe to it. But then he stopped. And the question is, why did he stop? And I would like to present um, a very important idea, which begins by addressing this issue, but of course then it expands to, to other things. It's formulated by many, but the formulation that I wish to bring for a very specific reason is that of uh, one of the great uh, Rosh Yeshiva. It was uh, my Rosh Yeshiva, in fact, I had the, the schuss of learning under him, who passed away just a couple of weeks ago. His name was Rav Baruch Mordechai Izrachi. Uh, he was the Rosh Hashiva of Ateris Israel, and he really was Chad uh, Bedora, Chad Bedora, unique uh, in, in, in many, many ways. Um, and he, his knowledge of, of all of Torah was really on, and on, a, on a level beyond 
what most people would even consider deep, you know, further and further than that. Uh, he wrote and wrote, as, uh, one would need bookshelves uh, for, for his farm alone. And he taught Torah from, from his 20s until recently, and he passed away at the age of 94. I mean, he, he raised Hamidim for 70 years uh, throughout Eretz Yisrael. There, many of them are now themselves uh, teachers of Torah, Rosh Yeshiva, etc. Uh, and I was privileged to have uh, a, a, a special relationship with him. I'd, I'd like to say he, it, we, the Yeshiva was an Israeli Yeshiva, but he had a soft spot for Chutznikim, so of which we all took advantage. So uh, that was a schus for us to be able to um, to gain from him in that way. And Rabbi Zrachi says like this, <coughs> there are two concepts, uh, belief and behavior. And everyone in one form or another has both. They believe in certain things and they beha- behave in a certain way. And the notion that we might have is that the relationship between these two things is very simple. You have to figure out what you believe and then based on that, that will determine the way that you should behave. (coughs) So it would seem. The reality, says Rabbi Zrachi and others, Beis Halevi also in this week's parsha, is that very often the exact opposite is the case. The relationship between these two things is not that you first decide uh, what do I think is true and based on that, what then does that mean in terms of how I should live my life? But rather, how would I like to live my life? And once I've decided that, so w- what then should be true? What, what beliefs would allow me to do that? <clears throat> in other words, the, the bottom line very often is not a summation of everything that's come before it. It actually directs everything that comes before it because it's all, it's all about getting to that bottom line in the first place. How do we see this in Asaph? Because Asaph, on, on this day, he's shown very clearly there is a certain lifestyle that he wishes to pursue. And it's very indulgent, and it's very, in its own ways, quite immoral. And, but that's what he wants. And, and Yaakov says to him, so then the Bechorah is not for you. The Bechorah is more spiritual pursuits. It's not for you. But the question is, but how does Esau part with the Bechorah? After all, what the Bechorah represents is everything he should be investing in his spiritual future. But he doesn't want to do that. But now he's left in an uncomfortable position. Because if he believes what he's believed so far, which is that there will be an afterlife and he's not going to be doing very well there, so that will inhibit his lifestyle choice. So what's the solution? Well, the solution is very easy. To unbelieve. <clears throat> Having decided that this is how I would like to live, so I will now delete any beliefs that would stop me from doing that. So the question as to whether I believe them because I think they're true or not actually is secondary. It's almost incidental because it's really dictated by, by what, I, what I would like to be true in order to pursue and act the way that, that I do. And that is a cloud goddle. 
in terms of the two domains called belief and behavior. The notion that the causational relationship between them is that belief leads to behavior, it can, but so often the, the, the exact opposite can be true. And it's interesting to note in this regard that Asa, uh, who is now famous for simply uh, deleting on demand any belief that, that doesn't work out for him, um, so this will then reach its apex <coughs> in his uh, famous, I would say infamous, uh, grandson, who is Amalek. And Amalek are, are really a, a group or a nation of deniers. I mean, that's really their, their quote-unquote religious war against God is because they, they don't want to recognize him. And that's why they will attack the Jewish people, seemingly unprovoked. But it isn't unprovoked, because the Jewish people carry a godly message in this world, and that is an anathema to, 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 to Amalek. They don't want that type of thing here. So, they, so they'd like to kill the messenger, which is the Jewish people, so they can, so they can continue on their way, not recognizing any type of divine intervention in this world. There is a very interesting... Um, comment of the Shem Mishmuel, Reb Shmuel of Sokachev, the second of the Sokachev Rebbe's, the son of the Abnei Nezer. <coughs> and he explains, based on the Zohar, that the word Amalek, and again, this week we begin with Esav and it will the snowball uh, down into, into Amalek, <coughs> the word Amalek itself represents two concepts. The letters Am and Lake are really two ideas which, which are then connected to each other. How so? Or, or what does that mean? What, what does am mean by itself? And what does lake mean by itself? And how then did they form a progression? Well, the Shemishmol draws our attention to the story of Gidon, which is in Shoftim. As we know, Gidon, as he's amassing his army to go and fight uh, Midian, so many people turn up to volunteer, and actually some of them are sent home. And they're given the test of drinking by the water. How do they drink? Do they drink like a mensch? Or do they perhaps prostrate themselves or, or, or lap up the water? The, the latter are sent home. And the way that the Pasuk describes it is, whoever just put their face in the water... <coughs> And lapped it up, ka'asher yalok hakelev. The way a dog would drink, send them home. And keep the rest. And in the end, there were only 300, and they proved to be uh, ample. Sufficient. But those who were sent home were the ones who those who drunk the water, ka'asher yalok hakelev. The term lamid kuf, says the Shemesh which really means to, to lick or to lap up, right, um, re represents basically conducting oneself like an animal. And that's what Amalek would like to do, meaning they do not wish to be inhibited. They do not wish to be answerable to anyone. They do not wish to be restrained by any uh, value, certainly the notion of higher accountability. All they want to do is get to, to, to lake to Lamed Kuf, to act however they want. There's just one problem. They know that it's not right. And if you're the original Amalek, and you grew up, you, you know Yitzchak. And you might know Yaakov. 
And you might know all sorts of other things which will inhibit you, which will stop you from acting in this, in this uh, lake type of way. Kasher yalok hakelev. So now what do you do? It's almost like you know too much. So what's the solution? The, how do you get to, to the second part, to the lake of Amalek? Lahavdo, conveniently for us, not the lake, the body of water, but the, the, uh, to, to, to act in that way. The answer is, what gets you there is Am. Am will get you to lake. And if that sounds a little bit uh, enigmatic, we'll explain. The word Am, although we normally translate Am, its primary translation is a nation, of course, but the word Am means something else. The word Am means <coughs> dim. Amum. Amum means dim. Or in Eicha. Eicha you Am Zahav. How could it be? The gold was dimmed. The problem is, if you have a bright clarity of a certain truth and it stops you acting in a certain way, all is not lost. You know what you can do? You can dim your awareness. And then, and then it's, it's not a factor anymore. You can, if you know something which stops you from acting as you'd like, you can unknow it. You can put it in the dark. You can, you can have it recede from your consciousness, from your awareness. And the irony is, you consciously remove it from your consciousness. But that's no, that's no bother. And, and therefore, through Am, through dimming their awareness, darkening their awareness, dimming on demand, of anything that would, uh, of any truth that would stop them acting the way they would like to act, so then Am leads, leads to lake. And that is Amalek. And, and that really, in a sense, is a perfection of the art that was given to them by their grandfather, Asaph, because he is the first one to say, I, up until now, I believed in this idea. It's not convenient for me to believe it to be true anymore, and therefore I am, I am hereby rendering it untrue, as far as I'm concerned. Nothing changed in terms of the truth of the matter, but it's not, it, it's not worth it for me to recognize it as being true anymore. And that's the beginning of Amalek. <coughs> Indeed, there is a forerunner of this, and it, it really is a fascinating idea to, to, um, to develop. Becomes, becomes before Esav. We find it in the form of Lot. At a certain point, Lot and his... Uh, or Lot's shepherds, more correctly, are arguing with, with Avram's shepherd. This is back in Parshas Lech Lecha. <coughs> What's it all about? Well, Rashi explains... Lot was a Lot shepherds, or they got the director from Lot. The, the, the animals can graze wherever they want. In whoever's field they want, it's completely fine. <clears throat> now they were confronted by Avram shepherds. You're stealing. That belongs to someone else. It's not right. But Lot defends himself. Lot explains his position. You know why I'm allowing my uh, animals to graze wherever they want? Because... The land has been promised to Avram's descendants, which he, does, uh, which he doesn't have any. So I stand to inherit Avram. 
And I'm effectively, therefore, <coughs> just taking an advance on my inheritance. And that's his defense. So again, Lot says, I mean, the land's been, been promised Avram's descendants, of which he does not have. So effectively, I'm, I'm his heir. And as the heir to the land, so uh, I'm taking an advance. I'm, uh, I'm allowing them already to, uh, to graze where they want. That's Lot's explanation of his position. What is so fascinating about that explanation is that it is, what is it based on? It's based on Hashem's words to Avram. Currently, the land is owned by the Knani and the Prezi and whoever. So the notion that Avram will, that anyone that will change uh, ownership is based on Hashem's promise to Avram, which was your descendants will inherit the land. So now, if we approach Lot and we say, you've heard, Hashem promised to Avram that his descendants will be given the land. Do you believe that promise or not? And Lot says, well, it depends. Because I believe some of it. Like I believe the part that, that it will be given to someone who inherits from Avram. But I don't believe it will be given to his children because he doesn't have any children. Except if, if we would then ask, but, but God said that he would have children. So Lot will respond, well, I know God said it, but I mean, you know, tactless, he doesn't have. So, so, I, so I don't really believe that. Okay, but do you believe it will, it will go to, to Avram's descendants, to any of Avram's heirs? Yes, of course. Based on what? Well, God said so. Uh, uh, but, but, but you just said that whatever you can't really see, so you don't really believe. In other words, in order to sustain his position, Lot has to apply a combination of belief and denial in the very same sentence. Believing that which, which is good for him, namely Avram's heirs will get, rejecting that which is not good for him in the very same sentence, namely that Avram will have children. And the moral of the story is Lot gets it. And, and, and if from his point of view, the logic is ironclad. And he doesn't realize that it's a contradiction. Because what's guiding the, the whole issue here is not whether he believes, how, what he believes or not. It's what will allow his animals to graze wherever they want. And if the answer is a kind of a cocktail of, of uh, emuna and, and kfira, so, so be it. That's a small price to pay. And this really, it's, it's, it's a very disturbing truth about the whole relationship between um, believing things and what we would like, what, what we understand to be true and what we would like to be true. It's already summed up in the end of the Parsha of Tzitzis. The Sifrei says this, Sifrei and Parsha Shalach, because the Parsha of Tzitzis concludes by saying, V'lo sosuru acharei don't stray after your hearts and after your eyes. And the Sifrei says, here we see, here we see. It begins with the heart. What does the heart want to be true? What does a person desire? <clears throat> Once that's been established, that will then determine what the eyes see and how the eyes see it. So, if, so, so in other words, the eyes only see what the heart allows them to see.
and and that's what the Pasuk is saying. And of course, I mention this uh, not uh, irrelevantly to, to the time in which we are, which we, where we have this agonizing uh, experience where things that are, are patently untrue or absolutely unreliable are, are accepted as absolute truth and things which are beyond uh, refutation are completely ignored and it's a it's a it's a frustrating and, and heartbreaking thing and what we need to realize is that in other words if you want to know what people understand to be true you need to begin with what they would like to be true and what hap- what will happen if they allow themselves to believe that this is true what are the strings attached because belief c- cannot exist in a vacuum and neither can truth exist in a vacuum and this is why you have this real uphill struggle of anyone who's trying to present fact as they really are so they shouldn't stop trying and for and in some degree it can make a difference but we need to understand that the the reliability and the truth of the situation is only part of the picture. And unfortunately, it is decidedly often the junior partner in the picture. Because the senior partner is, but what, but what, what would we like to, to be happening here? And then everything else needs to, needs to fall in around that. <coughs> um, so I'd like to move from here, actually, and apropos of this, it's very difficult to, to, to go through these parshas and not really see them as, as a comment on, 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 on what's happening. And the very end of parshas told us, so we'll have to leave the brachas, I suppose, for another time. So how does it, but, but, but it, it, this comes from the brachos. In other words, uh, Yaakov got the brachos and then, and, then, and then Yaakov's been sent away. And, and how does it conclude? The, the, the two final psukim, Vayar Esav, Kira Ospinos Kanan Be'ena Yitzhakavim. So Esav sees that the daughters of Canaan, they, they, they were evil in his father's eyes because he's, uh, Yitzhak sent Yaakov away and said, get out of Canaan, go to Haran. And if you're sent to Lavan's house, that means Canaan is, is bad. And therefore, Esav takes further action. So he marries again. It's very interesting how Parsha's told us ends. Esau basically gets married. And that's the end of the Parsha. And how is this, in fact, a, a conclusion of the Parsha? Well, uh, the Pasuk seems to, on a very, very straightforward level, to be telling us that he sees that the daughters of Canaan are not really so good. So he wants to maybe try and do the right thing. Interestingly, he doesn't divorce his, his two Canaanite wives, or, or, or he, he keeps them. He just adds, uh, you know, the, the, the daughter of Yishma. But there is a comment of the Vilna Gaon, and it's in his parish to the Sephardites Niusa, which is a very, a very ancient uh, Kabbalah work, and the Gaon says. 
that the, the events at the end of Parshas Toldos, the marriage of Esav to Yishmael, is actually the beginning of a move against Yaakov getting the brachas, against the Jewish people succeeding in their mission, in their existence, in their endeavors, and, and, and all of these things. Because as we know, <coughs> Esav has his own issues with Yaakov. Halachahi, Esav sonele Yaakov. With all, with all that we said that there are good people that come from Esav, that is not, I mean, Esav himself is not, is not uh, uh, partake of that. And then Yishmael has, has his issues, and they both really are um, not part of the future of the Jewish people, but there's, there's animosity there. And each one has their own approach. And each one has their own characteristics. And when they meet, and when they get married, so it is the merging of those characteristics. <coughs> and this can be understood in a number of ways. But for our purposes, and in terms of our experience, what we see uh, with Asav, and the Maharal says this, that Asav is really about Asiya. Asav is about developing as much as he can. Now, of course, he doesn't have room for the Jewish people in his development of the world, but he is about looking to, to develop things and re- to really reaches its apex at, at, in its time in Rome. Rome was considered to be the heir of Asav, and of course, Rome spreading all of their development, which in, in many respects it was, um, where, wherever they could go. Not much was forthcoming from, from Yishmael. And so, but what does Yishmael represent on the other hand? They have a certain um, faith that, that, that will justify whatever they do. And, and, and therefore, in a sense, there's, there's, no, there's no stopping them. There's, there's, there's nothing that they won't do. And indeed, Yishmael... As opposed to saying that I, I listen to God, it's more that God will listen to me. Yishmael, because whatever I do, he will have to sign in on it because it's being done in his name. So, the, so, the, so there, there are no rules that are given to me. <coughs> and when the two get married, so what you have in a sense is, is the organizational side of Asiya, of Esav, which then meets up with the fanatical side of Yishmael. And then you have a terrible situation. Because if Yishmael was, was, was left to himself, and, and he never came into contact with this, so, so there's, there's a limit to what he could do. But if he's armed with, with, with the development from, from Esau's side, so you, ha- you have now this terrible combination. Because for Yishmael himself, there, there is no... There is no structure, there, and there are no boundaries. <coughs> there is, you know, it's from a couple of weeks back, but, but uh, uh, I cannot not mention it. It's in Parshas Vayera, where Hagar and Yishmael are sent away from Avram's house. And there reaches a certain point where uh, Yishmael, he's deteriorating, and Hagar distances herself from him. Now, the Pasuk says she distances herself. She says, I, I can't bear to see him die. <clears throat> but the way the Pasuk describes the distancing from him is, Harcheik 
Kimtachave Keshes. Two arrows lengths, that is the flight of an arrow, two of those away from Yitzhak. Why is it phrased in that way? Why is she distancing herself from Yishmael that distance specifically? And the Bartonura, who is famous for his parish on the Mishnayis, but he also has a, a, a concise parish on, on Rashi's commentary, in fact. So he says, he, he, he cites Mephorshim, that Hagar sees that, yeah, that Yishmael is, he's, he's deteriorating. He's losing his equilibrium. But he's an archer. He has a quiver full of arrows. There is no telling what he might do. And Hagar is afraid that if she's too close to him, he will shoot her. He might start unleashing arrows all over the place. And therefore, she places herself out of harm's way. Because when, when, you, when Yishmael gets into, into that gear, no one is safe. Not even his own mother. And as we know, unfortunately from her own experience, she was right to be afraid. Because there, there is, it, it, it's only a secondary concern. All, all the directions that uh, Yishmael is capable of shooting. And therefore, <coughs> what the Posig is describing really is this very uh, formidable combination. It's a potent combination of, of organization and destruction. Of structure and, 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 and lack of structure. To move towards this, this end. But if we can conclude perhaps on, on a note which really has been intuitively taken up by the Jewish people. And that is the beginning, the, the end of Parshas Chayesara talks about Yishmael. And what does it say in the, very, the final words of Chayesara? On the face of all his, his, his brothers, Nafal. <coughs> now Nafal, is, it, it can mean to, to, to dwell, but Nafal, it does mean that he will fall. And the very next words of Eila told us Yitzhak. And the Ikr told us Yitzhak is, is Yaakov. And the Balaturim says, <coughs> He will fall. And what is the very next words in the Torah? Ve'ele told us Yitzhak. Lomar, to teach you. When Yishmael falls in the end of days, Yitzmach ben David, Shimi told us Yitzhak. The, the fall of Yishmael will then lead to the full flourishing of told us Yitzhak. And the question that we may ask is, uh, of, all the, of all the Avos, I mean, the, the, the Mashiach is descended from, from Avram and from Yaakov as well, not just from Yitzhak. But the Yitzhak factor, what one could say, and really the, 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 the defining characteristic of, of Yishmael in, 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 in these situations is, the, is, is the, what they're pre prepared to do in the name of, of what they believe in, ostensibly, or to whatever, to whatever degree. And there was no one who, who perfected what belief in Hashem should be like more than Yitzchak, who was prepared to offer himself <coughs> uh, as a korban, to, to allow that to happen, his entire existence to be nullified because of his emunah in, 
if that's what Hashem wants, and then he's, he's absolutely together with it. He, rep- he is the symbol, the, the mentor for the Jewish people of, of what Emunah is. Um, so much is being done in, in, in our Matzav to help and to, you know, each one wherever they can. It really, it, it, it's beyond amazing. But part of, of, of the triumph of Yishmol is, is to reclaim what Emunah really should be. To, to, to out Emunah them. For all of their treif Emunah, which leads them to do things that should, should never be done and, and, and shouldn't even be, be uh, words for them. So, so it, it begins by, by making sure that we place our Emunah where it should be. And that really is why Yishmael falls in the hands of Yitzhak. And, and the, the awakening of Emunah that really has happened over these last few weeks. And, and people who, who are, I would say, Bali Emuna, so they, 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 they should also be involved. Everyone, everyone can always go that one notch higher. It's not a question of has, doesn't have. There's many, many uh, levels and grades. So it, it should be for us a further strengthening, and through that we should see the complete fall of everything that is wrong with Yishmael, Bimehira, Amen.